One of the self-defeating behaviors that's common for people who grew up with abuse and neglect is the way we pursue and bond with and stay with unavailable people. And when you find yourself in love with someone who doesn't love you or who can't love you properly, it can be a psychological trap where you can't see any other options. Your abandonment wound can cause you to attach powerfully to somebody that you don't even like. And your trauma thinking can make it seem like redemption for this miserable relationship is just around the corner. If you can just be kinder, if you could just get the person to change in just the right way, or if you could just resurrect a relationship with an ex who wasn't available either for that matter, but then your trauma thinking believes the empty feeling might go away. So how do you know if any of the people your heart is drawn to are worth the trouble? I have a letter today from someone I'll call Catherine, and she writes, Dear Anna, I grew up with a mother who was an alcoholic and a father who was unavailable most of the time. Both parents have narcissistic tendencies as well, so it's no surprise that my dating life has been notoriously difficult. Six years ago, I met a wonderful man. Let's call him Callum. Callum was unlike anyone I've ever known, and even though we were quite young, I felt something I have never felt before. It was as if we had known each other all our lives, and something in me felt that he was the one. I was pretty sure he felt the same way. We dated and things were amazing. We could talk for hours about anything and everything, and I always felt so safe with him. There were no red flags that I could see, and it felt like home. Unfortunately, not long into the relationship, he told me that he was scared of his feelings for me and didn't feel ready for such a deep connection. He broke up with me and said that if it's meant to be, we'll find our way back to each other later in life when we're older, wiser, and more ready for each other, whatever that means. In the following years, we talked on and off and saw each other sometimes, but it always ended with him painfully saying it was too hard to try and be friends with me. I saw other men during this time, but it was always casual. My heart belonged to Callum. One day, I stupidly told him that I was casually involved again with my ex, who I was with before him. Not long after that, he said he didn't see a future with me anymore, and it's best I move on. He denied that what I told him was his reason for no longer seeing a future with me. But I didn't believe him. I could tell by the way he looked at me and the things he said that he still loved me. Eventually, I decided I didn't want to wait for him anymore, and I opened myself up to love again. Not long after, I met a handsome man we'll call Nick. This is my pen today. I'm circling things that I want to be sure to come back to. I'm going to read all the way through. And then I'm gonna come back and go through some of the things I circled so we can see if we can help Catherine. Okay. Nick and I started dating, but there were red flags everywhere. <laughs> Substance abuse, verbal aggression were present early on. I never felt fully confident about our relationship, but I wanted so badly to get over Callum and just move on. And Nick had some other great qualities that I felt were rare to find. He was romantic, self-aware, emotionally intelligent, loyal, and sweet. He was from a different country than me, and eventually we moved to his country together. We live here now. We share a home together, and I'm dependent on him to gain permanent residency in this country, something I deeply want, as it has been so healthy for me to live here, away from my family. I've fallen in love with his country and the life I'm building here. 
My relationship has also helped me grow immensely in ways I wouldn't have if I were single all this time. I've had to face my deepest demons. But every day I doubt if Nick is the one for me. And not a day goes by that I haven't thought about Callum. It feels like a special kind of hell. Nick's substance abuse and verbal aggression has gotten better, but first it got much worse. I feel moments of happiness with him most days and still love him, but I also can't seem to shake the idea of ending up with Callum. A couple years ago, Callum and I were in contact, and I could tell he still had feelings for me, but he didn't choose me. He is still emotionally unavailable. We stopped talking on a pretty sour note because I was contemplating leaving Nick for him, and he told me not to. He said, I still have feelings for you, but I don't think there isn't us anymore. I didn't like that, so I cut ties. I wanted him to fight for me and choose me and tell me it's been me all along and to go be with him. But I can assume he didn't want to be that bad guy and ruin my relationship. I've tried to reach out again since then, but he's been distant. A while ago when I found your videos on limerence, I decided maybe I should just forget Callum entirely, block him mentally, physically, and emotionally, and focus on my relationship. Try to be as present as possible in my life so I could decide if the person I'm with is really someone I could see a future with or not. And try to stop my mind from playing this horrible trick on me if the feelings for Callum aren't real, but in fact just limerence. Unfortunately, this has not brought me clarity and I'm still utterly confused. Here's my question, Anna. How can I find and trust my truth? I thought what I felt for Callum was my intuition telling me I found the one, but he hasn't done the work to be with me. I thought my intuition was telling me that Nick was bad for me, but he has worked hard to improve our relationship even though we still have struggles. Since I started learning about limerence, I feel like I can't trust myself at all. Am I hung up on Callum because we are meant to be together? Or am I just stuck in a trauma response and in the past six years have been nothing but a limerent lie? I also don't know how to tell if Nick is someone I should continue to invest my time and energy into or if I'm just staying because I'm scared to leave. I'm struggling to move forward and trust that I'm doing the right thing. Do I tell Callum how I feel or do I keep trying to forget about him? Do I continue my relationship with Nick or do I call it quits and make room for something else? What is the brave and healthy decision? Your clarity and guidance would be so deeply valuable right now. I have many years ahead of me and I want to spend them happily. Yours sincerely, Catherine. I want you to be happy too, Catherine. These are such good questions. Uh, I, I, I totally have been where you are. I understand. I get it. And now that I'm on the outside of it and I'm not you, I think I have some clarity I can lend you about this. So let's go through your letter again. So. Your mother was an alcoholic and your dad was unavailable most of the time. So first of all, I would just like to say that Nick has substance abuse problems like your mom and Callum is unavailable most of the time. Both of your parents had narcissistic tendencies. So you, you know there's a connection, but I'm just like laying it out. You are with two unavailable people or you're, you're, you're physically with one and thinking about another. They're both unavailable. They're both relationships making you miserable. So what I see you doing is trying to decide, is it this guy or this guy? And I think you know where I'm going to go with this. <laughs> but let's go through and see what you say, because this is not a crazy situation. It's not always 100% obvious. All right. So six years ago, you met Callum, and, and it was unlike anyone you'd known. And even though you were really young, you felt something you'd never felt before. It was as if you'd known each other all your lives. When you said something, you know, there's no red flags that you could see. 
And that's how we are. We can't see them. And he felt like home. So the, the, the difficult thing about having CPTSD and having parents who were alcoholic and not around is that something feeling like home, you can get that cozy home feeling and a powerful falling in love around somebody despite the fact that they are not professing love and commitment to you. And if that did happen, I didn't hear you recount that as part of the story. You say that something in you felt he was the one and you were pretty sure he felt the same way, but you didn't know. And if he did feel the same way, he would have told you. He would have told you. So I'm gonna just guess. So you did date, it was amazing. You could talk for hours. So it sounds like at the very least, this was an incredible friendship. And I think it's rare in life that we meet somebody who gets us like that. And that's the worst kind of love to lose is somebody who totally gets you. It's so painful. I do understand that. Not long into it, he said he was scared of his feelings for you and didn't feel ready for such a deep connection. So it's hard for me to understand what that means. I'm guessing you didn't. He broke up with you and said, if it's meant to be, we'll find our way back to each other later when you're older and wiser and more ready for each other, whatever that means. And I'm gonna be a little bit cynical here and it just means like, you know, he wasn't ready or willing or interested in committing to you. He had more relationships to have and this wasn't the one, this wasn't the one. But there was enough good stuff there that he kind of wanted to put a bookmark in your life. Now, this is a little bit of a cruel trick sometimes that one person does to another is say, I don't want you now, but in the future, you know, just they kind of put a bookmark in your future of like, I think we have a destiny or I think, you know, we could be great together. And what happens is, especially, you know, for us who are carrying these abandonment wounds, oh, we'll hold on to that bookmark. We'll save a place for them in our future. And what that leads to, and I have experience with this, is a series of relationships that are not the one, you know it all along. They're, those are placeholders. Those are time-filling relationships where it's too lonely to just wait for another person to maybe come around. And part of you is always thinking, well, that's stupid. I shouldn't do that. I should get on with my life. But in your heart of hearts, you're holding a place for that person in your future. And it's understandable and it's tragic because what happens is you can't make a commitment to anything. And I'm going to guess that that difficulty with making commitments to thing has, things has extended into other things in your life that you want to feel ready to leave at all times, you know, to get your bag and run in case Callum says, yeah, okay, I'm ready now. Yeah, you're getting robbed of a full life. And so I'll talk about what to do about that in a minute. So after that breakup, you on and off saw each other, but it always ended with him painfully saying it was too hard to try to stay friends with you. So what that suggests to me is yes, he did have feelings to you and it had something to do with jealousy. And I'm just wondering if there's some piece of the story that either you're not conscious of or you decided not to include in the story here, but where you were sexually um, unreliable or faith, your, your, the question of whether you could be faithful to him was in question. And so if one of the things that you did was act like a cool girl, so when he sort of said, I'm breaking up with you, this is too hard, and maybe you either were being frank with him or possibly even trying to like, you know, manipulate him a little bit by going, okay, fine, you know, I met this other guy, I'm seeing these other guys, and see if that would activate him to go, okay, I'm fighting for you now. Like if that was happening, it could have backfired and just told him you're not trustworthy. And, and you know, that, that, that is one possibility that I don't see canceled out by anything you've said here. 
is that he he had some kind of deep abandonment wound he needed to feel super super safe to give his heart he didn't feel safe he was scared that he would get hurt by you there was something maybe reckless in your energy or like yeah that he was going to get hurt so if i'm looking for anything you might have done now maybe he's just like relationship phobic or commitment phobic that's a possibility but I like to sort of help people. I want to help you look for, was there something you did? Given that you feel so strongly about him and you have this sort of big void where understanding of where he was coming from needs to be. That there, that clear communication never happened. So then you saw other men during that time, but it was always casual because your heart belonged to him. And then one day you stupidly told him that you were casually involved again with an ex who you were with before him. And not long after that, he said he didn't see a future. Mm, just a guess here, when he was dating you, was he jealous of that ex? Was there a, a weak boundary around that where you talked about him or you were too young to know to be really super careful about, you know, not talking about exes? That's a possibility, okay. He denied that what I told him was the reason for no longer seeing a future with me, but I didn't believe him. I could tell by the way he looked at me that and the things he said, he still loved you. Yeah, I think it's possible to love someone and also feel like it's not a situation that you can invest your life in. So that's my best summary of where he seems to be coming from. Eventually, I decided I didn't want to wait for him, opened yourself up to love. I get it, good idea. And then you met the new guy, Nick, so handsome. That's your first adjective. And then you started dating. There were red flags everywhere. So he's handsome. There's like the physical attraction there. Um, but the red flags, substance abuse and verbal aggression. You never felt fully confident about the relationship, but you wanted so badly to get over Callum. So the relationship that you might have, that actually is you getting over the past, would feel very compelling. You would be like, oh gosh, this is, this is amazing. I'm so into this person. I'm going to get on my toes here to rise up to the level of, the, of this relationship that's the level of quality love that's going to be required for this person because I admire them, I respect them. You know, I want to be the person that makes them happy instead of like, I don't know, I don't know. There's the substance abuse, there's the verbal aggression. And personally, I think substance abuse and verbal aggression are deal breakers. They're deal breakers for me. Um, and you said he got, he got a little bit better, but those are two things that don't tend to go away forever unless somebody really, really, really works on them seriously, like not being able to control verbal aggression, not being able to control use of substances are things that do not go away in the short, you know, overnight. And sometimes people will get a period of time where they uh, can abstain from those things. And then, you know, they just get ground down. Life is hard. There's stress and boom, they're right back in them again. And those are two things that would make a happy relationship literally impossible. So, so he's, he's from another country. You live in his country. You love the country because it got you away from your family. So what I see you doing with Nick, as much as he has some good qualities, is it's, you're, you're escaping. You're escaping your love for Callum. You're escaping the difficulty of being near your parents. But you're not that into him. You're not that into him. So every day you doubt if he's the one for you and not a day goes by that you don't think of this other guy. Now, sometimes, yes, it sounds like Callum is a limerent relationship for you. And it sounds like he's played a role in holding that space in your heart. It, I don't think you're nuts <laughs> about it, 
but it's limerent now because he's told you over and over again he's not into it and he won't do it and you still are thinking but maybe that's it maybe that's it and it's holding up your life so you talked to him a couple years ago you say I could tell he still had feelings for you but unless he says he still has feelings for you he still didn't choose you He's, and he's still emotionally unavailable. He's not just emotionally unavailable, he's physically unavailable. You cannot be with him because he won't be with you. I'm being tough love fairy today. He will not be with you. And that's a condition for a relationship, of course. So the, it ended on a sour note because you were thinking of leaving Nick to be with him and he said, don't do it. And he admitted he still had feelings for you, but I don't think there's an us anymore. So he, there just keeps being some sort of violation of... of I guess he's not seeing another person and that's not why you don't mention it anyway so either that's not the case or he's hiding that from you but he seems very clear he just keeps saying I don't see a future there's no us and and you know it's like you and Nick you you have feelings for him too right but you don't necessarily see a future for him so it's a it's a way that you can love somebody but not actually want to be with them so his feelings aren't matching yours and it just oh it just, it's, it's unrequited love that's what it is it's just unrequited love if he felt it he would act on it if he felt it he would overcome his fear and I realize that some people like they have fear and I we're gonna get letters from people who are like you don't understand you know some people are fearful and I'm like yeah fearful equals unavailable though fearful equals unavailable there may be a psychological explanation. I encourage you, don't try to help him with the psychological aspect of it. If I, I'm always encouraging everybody here, if, if you have a tendency to go for unavailable people, try to visualize yourself rather than going after and trying to make things happen and fix up the situation. Picture yourself sitting on your throne and letting people come present themselves to you. Let them present how they feel about things. Let them tell you how they feel and what they propose to bring to your life. And I'm not saying people are your slaves or your serfs or anything, but I'm just saying visualize this role for yourself and allow information to come to you about what they offer. And it's a very, it's not passive, it's active because you're there, you're listening acutely, but you're, tr you're listening for do you have something that tells me that you are the one? And that way you're not using fantasy or projection because that's what we do, right? If you grew up neglected, you developed a colossal ability to be totally neglected and ignored and then your mind creates a fantasy version of reality where it's like, yes, but actually daddy really loves me and he can't be here right now because, you know, and you, you have some kind of emotional story in your mind about that, about why this is happening that prevents you from having to look at the horror of the fact that your parents weren't taking care of you. A kid can't even face that. So what's happening now is you're going through the maturation process, which is good and healthy and right for you to do, of starting to unpack that. So instead of trying to like fill in with, with emotional spackle and fantasy what's going on here, like I, th I could see how I could upgrade this situation. And if he would just change this, it'd be great. If Callum just awaken to his feelings if Nick just got his act together but better for you to sit there and go well let's see what's actually going on and what's going on is you're not getting what you actually want so the thing that I wanted to present to you is this is not necessarily an either or dilemma it's I think it might be a neither dilemma I think these are your practice relationships where you didn't get what you wanted you didn't get treated in the good loving way <laughs> and that consistent committed way that you need and you got part of it in each relationship. 
But what you, I think what you want is all of it in one relationship and it's not too much to ask and it might take a little more time. And I realize the dilemma that you now live in a country where you don't have permanent residency without this guy. You might have to leave the country, but that might be right instead of using him and staying with him just to get your permanent residency and then leaving. That wouldn't be right. Okay, that's not morally right. Limerence is a way to escape. And I think also sometimes unavailable people are a way to escape. And when you come back, you come back into yourself and you come back into what you really want in life. And my dating course, if you ever want to take that, it begins with an exercise that's often quite hard for people to write down what you really, really want your life to be like and what you really, really want your ideal partner to be like. You write it down so that you, you declare it. And this is not some sort of like, um, you know, magic, magic thing. It's just like, just get clear about what you want. Because when you know what you want, it's a lot easier to spot what is not what you want, what's not what you want. And if neither of these guys is the one, what's ahead for you is some alone time and possibly moving back to your home country. You don't have to live where your parents live. I don't know what you're going to do in that respect. But breaking up with a, rela with a relationship and letting go of two ideals of how things could be good is sometimes the closest, the, the most true path, the most direct route to true love, to really being loved. Because you're seeing how they're coming up short here. These are, not, these are not likely to become more than they are right now. Not likely. If you're incomplete about that and you're not ready to just shut the door on these two relationships, um, in the case of Callum, you've, I mean, you've said it again and again and again, but why you could set yourself up to have the definitive communication and say, here's exactly how I feel. And I would really like to be with you. Can you at least tell me why you were so afraid to be with me? Like, what is it? Like, ask for that direct communication. So you at least have an answer. And if it's something that you can answer to or you can possibly change for him, there's your opportunity. Probably not though. I still think that if somebody is into you, they will meet you. They'll meet you there. They'll be trying. They'll be asking you questions. Is, is there anything I can do, you know, to make this relationship better? It's not a crime to ask for clarity about that, to ask questions and um, to just put your cards all out on the table. Just say it how it is. And it's embarrassing to do that. I've done it before. It's really embarrassing. You usually don't get a favorable answer, but there's a completion. There's a freedom that you can finally just stop like hypothesizing that if they just knew how I really felt, then things could be different. So now you have your answer. How you really feel on the table, you can find out how they respond to that and you can act accordingly. And, and if he's not into you, you can get free. You'd be closer on your path to freedom. So the two questions you asked me at the end are good questions and that's, that's what I'm, I've weighed in on. Do I tell Callum how I feel or do I try to forget about him? And I said, tell him how you feel and if, if, and if it doesn't go well, forget about him. And do you continue your relationship with Nick or call it quits? And I say, I, I, I'm hearing that you want to call it quits. But I will give you this caveat. If you, if you resolve the Callum thing, and that's kind of a heavy thing to do while you're in a relationship with Nick. It's sort of uh, sneaky doing that behind his back. But if you want to know who you are and whether you're capable of loving this guy when you're not obsessed with somebody else, you could first resolve Callum and then deal with the Nick question. But substance abuse, you know, my experience, that's a lot of what my past involved. My family had a lot of substance abuse problems. I had two relationships with addicts that were devastating to me, devastating to my life. And I would never recommend to anybody that you get together with somebody 
who either is an active addict or is pretty recently out of it. Like people need some time to recover from that. Many of the people here in this audience are in active addiction or recent recovery and I love you and I want you to be here. And I just caution people with CPTSD not to date people who are still in that fragile state. One of the reasons not to date addicts is because the drama of the relationship, which is ordinary in a relationship with an addict, is very bad for their fragile state. You know, addicts die easily. And I speak from experience with many dear people uh, I've lost because of addiction. And so it's important to take responsibility not to be one of the people who um, triggers hardship and drama in their life at a time when they're fragile, especially when they're in early recovery. They, they need to be kind of um, protected in, during that time so that they have space to recover without big threats, big um, fear that they're gonna be abandoned or lose their place to live or anything like that. As much as possible, people in early recovery should be supported to be safe. So for yourself and for others, I don't recommend being with people who are in active addiction or in early recovery. So I hope that helps you, Catherine. The way that you were raised, you really have a path ahead of you where you can keep going, where you keep allowing that imprint of those people who didn't take care of you to keep feeling like home for you, or you can do the, the work so that something new can resonate for you. And the two ways that I will always recommend to people who are trying to change this pattern of going for unavailable people is one, use a, a tool like my daily practice to stay regulated, to stay out of dysregulation because there's two things that drive bad decisions. And it's dysregulation, you know, which we talk about a lot here on this channel. It's when your, your brain waves get dysregulated. That's very common for people who grew up with stress. You, feel, you get discombobulated, you get, oh, you're, you get rash with your decisions, your emotions are too high or flat. So you, you learn to stay regulated using these techniques. And then you get community of people you can talk to so you can keep getting a reality check on your experiences and perceptions. When we have PTSD, when we're prone to getting dysregulated and um, kind of losing ourselves in relationships, it's really hard to interpret reality and make good decisions. And that's what friends can do, even if they have CPTSD too. If they're aligned with you in terms of what recovery means, maybe if they're also using these techniques um, or taking my courses, you know, that would be like alignment then you could rely on them to help give you that reality check. You know, like, I, I feel like I'm getting dismissed right now. Does this seem normal to you? And they can say, yeah, that's not cool. Or they can say, hey, you gotta give people space. And you have a reality check. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.